Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about Jay Farner leaving Rocket, Joe Tyrell leaving Ice, Zillow earnings, and more. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be back. Thanks, Sarah. Great to have you back. As always, we talk about what's happening, um, some of the reporting we're doing in the newsroom, the Housing Wire newsroom, Real Trends, and Reverse Mortgage Daily newsrooms, of which you oversee all of that. So we've got lots of big stuff. Let's talk. Let's start with Jay Farner leaving Rocket Companies. Yeah. So uh, Jay Farner leaving Rocket Companies, and uh, he's going to be replaced, at least in the interim, by his predecessor, Bill Emerson. And, uh, you know, the, the lender is looking for a permanent replacement, both internally and externally. And I think the major takeaway here is Jay Farner exiting Rocket has caught a lot of people by surprise. For starters, he's been the public face of Rocket slash Quicken for a number of years, really, uh, since Dan Gilbert stepped back. And and he's also, he's only 49 years old. And it's frankly unusual to see an executive at that level, um, at that age, voluntarily leave a job uh, that, that is so prominent. And, and Jay is admired by a lot of people in the industry for really pushing very innovative marketing ideas, push button, get mortgage, right? Uh, and and at heart, he's a marketing guy. And in some ways, I think it's fair to say he put mortgage back on the map for the American consumer following the housing crisis of 08. So he's a major, major, major name, a big figure in this industry. And and while being the head of marketing is an important role at pretty much any mortgage lender, uh, I think it's much more important. It's a much more critical role at a company like Rocket. And so if you think of it this way, Rocket is mostly a consumer direct lender, and so they depend on brand recognition to do business at scale and and to capture profits. And so it's all about brand recognition, and it's worked. Like if if Sarah, if if you went down to Main Street USA and you asked people to name a mortgage lender that isn't their bank, like Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, dollars to donuts, they're going to name Rocket Mortgage. And I think Jay Farner is a big reason that Rocket has grown from doing about, what, $30 billion in originations in 2011 to about almost $90 billion in 2017. And, and they even grew much bigger than that over the pandemic. You know, and Until very recently, this was the biggest mortgage lender in America, and that's not by accident. Uh, but of course, nothing lasts forever. And after 27 years, Jay Farner is retiring, and it's effective on June 1st. And you know, the retirement comes just a few weeks before Rocket reports its fourth quarter earnings. And we've spoken to a lot of analysts over the last week, and pretty much all of them believe that Rocket is going to show declining revenue, shrinking origination volume, and probably a financial loss in the fourth quarter. And it's not like the first quarter looks any better. Mortgage rates are still in the mid-sixes, and there's very little inventory. And this is not a business with a lot of sentiment, you know, like there's just not at that level. And so Jay is the head of a shrinking business that currently is not profitable and probably won't be for a few more quarters. And this is a publicly traded company. Investors, they don't like that. So I think there's upheaval, there's uncertainty, and it's a really competitive mortgage market. So 
you know, I, I think also having said all of that, it's also worth noting that Jay Farner is giving up the seat on the board and Bill Emerson is going to be taking both the seat on the board and running uh, rocket companies, which of course is more than just rocket mortgage, right? It has a title arm. It has a, a slew of different businesses, but when you think about rocket, you know, something like 90% of, of the revenue, the business is mortgage. So, Overall, I think this is a pretty unusual move, especially for Rocket. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how it all unfolds over the next few weeks. You know, you talk about um, the fact that, you know, their their fourth, qu- fourth quarter earnings are going to be down, but like, that's not unusual. I mean, you no. know, we're, we're in a really tough mortgage environment. I'm not sure the CEO of any mortgage company can, you know, uh, make a difference there. I mean, uh, of course, they do great work, but I'm just saying like, you know, you can only... Uh, you know, work with what you're dealt and no one is being dealt a great hand right now. Right. I think it's also worth pointing out that Rocket is not a reactionary kind of business. You know, they they always talk about how they're in this for the life cycle of the consumer and they don't think quarter to quarter that they, they are very much a big picture, long lens kind of company. And any CEO in a mortgage company right now is, I, I, I don't know how you could ever feel comfortable in the environment that we're in. And what's happening at Rocket is by no means strange. You know, you find me another 10 mortgage lenders right now that are making money. Uh, it's it's not easy right now. It is definitely not easy. What I think is most unusual about this is that Jay Farner, who has spent most of his adult life at Rocket Mortgage and and came up with a lot of um, other executives uh, is breaking clean entirely from the company, you know, and, and this is a company that promotes from within and and typically has succession plans. And there's obviously no succession plan here, and and they don't they don't hire businesses uh, executives from other businesses. There, there are no other lenders um, whose CEOs are are running you know top divisions of Rocket. It doesn't happen. Their people, their own people climb up to the C-suite. And so almost everything is internal. And retiring executives at Rocket, they historically stay in orbit. They'll work on charity initiatives. They'll work at the holding company or the parent company or side ventures, whatever. But but they're always kind of in the background. And so I, I don't know why Jay Farner is leaving uh, if you look at the SEC filings, it doesn't say that there is any discord or anything like that. And we don't have any reporting that suggests um, that there's another reason aside from he decided that this was time to leave. Um, but I will say that given all the circumstances, um, what is happening is definitely unusual. I think that's a really good point. You know, even the SEC filing says Mr. Farner's retirement from the board was not because of a disagreement with the company. So again, really unusual. We'll We'll look to see um, who they who they replace him with long term and where he might jump next. I mean, he's retired, but um, be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, look, Jay Jay made his money. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to be crying for a, a charity case here. He made something like fifty million dollars in twenty twenty. Uh, he's he's definitely okay financially, right. uh, and and I think you know it's it's interesting that there, this also presents an opportunity for some internal candidates. You know, as I said, Rocket historically does things from within. And 
I think it's also telling that Bob Walters, who's currently running the mortgage company, didn't get the seat on the board or the interim promotion. They decided to go back and choose uh, Bill Emerson, who was Jay's predecessor and ran the lender for a few years, you know, uh, a little less than a decade ago. And and Rocket's also seen a few key departures in the C-suite over the last year or so. You might remember that Julie Booth and Angelo Vitale both retired. Um, so this this could usher in a period of kind of a new guard uh, of of younger executives moving uh, up the ladder in Rocket. So like a Tim Berkmeyer, the president of Rocket Mortgage, uh, very well respected in the organization. Casey uh, Herbis runs marketing for Rocket. That's traditionally a good path upward. Uh, we know Austin Yemick, of course, he's moved over from running wholesale to becoming the chief revenue officer, and he's very highly thought of at Rocket, but you know, probably doesn't have the experience to be given the CEO role, but but is certainly uh, moving upward. So there's a lot going on here, and and it means there are going to be additional moves. You know, like Jay Farner leaving is only the first step. There's going to be, uh, I think, a lot more that happens over the next few months, and investors are going to want to know who's steering the ship. I do think Bill Emerson is a good. You know, you can see why that uh, gives investors. Um, you know, lots of peace of mind, right? He's done it before. He's very well respected. And um, like you said, stayed in the orbit. So um, definitely, you know, not like, oh, you know, it's uh, the sky's falling, but it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, especially, I mean, this is like, I mean, they're obviously, uh, they were the number one overall lender uh, up until the third quarter. Uh, huge, huge uh, deal here. So we will, we will keep looking and we have all sorts of things going on, you know, uh, differently, it's not a lender, but Ice Mortgage Technology named um, Tim Bowler as president. So um, he's going to see succeed uh, Joe Tyrell, who has been there since 2002, and and to my mind is is the face of it was Ellie May and then Ice, right? Like Joe, Joe Tyrell is right in there. So it's going to be interesting to see a change over there. Um, Bowler has a you know a background. Obviously, he's uh, he oversaw global benchmarks, including the ice swaps, you know, when he was, he joined ice in uh, 2017 to lead IBA. Um, He's, he's done a lot of things. So definitely someone who's very uh, well qualified, but interesting to see Joe step aside there. Yeah. And it, it makes you wonder what's going on with the merger, right? And just recently we saw the news that Black Knight is looking to sell its LOS for, I think it was something like they valued it at $400 million. And there's a lot of speculation as to, is this because they have some sort of an agreement with the FTC or because they're trying to get ahead of the FTC saying, you haven't done enough. This is clearly monopolistic. Um, and, you know, Encompass is still the big one. Uh, ISIS Encompass is something like, depending on who you ask, like between 40 and 50% of the market. Uh, Black Knight only has about 15, 10 to 15% in terms of the LOS, but but that is definitely um, when you talk to the opponents of the merger, it comes up a lot. And so it looks like they're trying to get ahead of it, but we, we just don't know where things are in the process and and why Joe is leaving and, and where he goes, right? I would love to know. Joe, call us. What's what's up, man? Give us a we call. would love to know that this is a guy who's done some amazing things and, you know, has a, has a great background as well. You know, some more information on Bowler was he, um, he was a managing director in the financial institutions group at Goldman Sachs. He was counselor to former U.S. 
Treasury Secretary Jack Lew and Acting Assistant Secretary for fi- Financial Stability. So, you know, um, seems like a guy who can step in and do this, but uh, definitely I agree with you that it, it does raise questions about what's going on with the merger and, and when we will know the answer to that. And Black Knight also has had a few changes on their board. Some folks who are not, you know, running again for seats. So it's uh, it, it's going to be, I, th- I think, a really busy spring if you're at Black Knight or, or if you're at ICE. So um, I, I know a lot of people want to see an answer by the summer. So uh, we're, we're going to keep tabs on that, certainly. So many interesting things going on. What else would you like to talk about? I know we've got some uh, Zillow news, right? So Zillow, of course, uh, is back in the news. They had their fourth quarter earnings on Wednesday, and they were better than expected. I think a lot of people thought that that Zillow was going to fall really hard, given just the slowness of the housing market and and really kind of how it's positioned post iBuying, and and they surprised a lot of people. And when I think about Zillow, I, I don't really think about it in terms of dollars and cents anymore. I think about it in terms of um, how how much use are their products getting right now. And so I, I think there are a few really interesting nuggets here. So in the fourth quarter earnings call, Rich Barton, the CEO, talked a lot about uh, Zillow rec- returning to its core advertising sales business, which of course, as you know, is, is really heavily based on real estate agent advertising. And they've also been promoting this housing super app that they've talked. Uh, it's vague, but they've talked a lot about it at the same time over the past six months. And what's really telling here is Zillow has these industry-wide forecasts that you know basically range from a major problem in the housing market, which of course is a major problem from Zillow to a biggish bump. And uh, Zillow's outlook calls for the industry transaction dollars to decline by about 35% from a year earlier in the first quarter. And when you look at what this actually means for Zillow in terms of product usage, visits to their apps and websites were down about 5% year over year in the fourth quarter. And so this is a sign that consumer interest, of course, is waning given you know how difficult the, the economy is for home buying. Uh, and tellingly, agents are pulling back on spending as well. And so for the first quarter, Zillow said its agent ads business could drop in terms of sales by as much as 28% year over year. And so when you couple those expected declines with you know investments in new products and uh, you know just all of the various changes that as a corporation Zillow has to deal with. Um, I think there are probably going to be some rough quarters ahead and they're building a housing super app when nobody's really buying houses right now. So I don't know about the strength of that overall strategy and what this means for companies that are less capitalized than Zillow. Well, I would say though that, you know, the, the super app, again, it's um, if you're selling less homes, then you want more of the piece of the pie of everything that goes into that, including like the moving expenses or the, 
you know, whatever parts of those, we've seen so many companies be like, you know, we want to have the end to end experience or, you know, not just like you bought the house, but like, okay, how are you going to maintain the house and, and, you know, put all your docs with us and let us, um, you know, uh, connect you to when you want to do renovations and just all these other things. So in some ways you can say, you know, if the pie is smaller, you want a bigger piece of whatever that pie is. Yeah, absolutely. And they're still standing and iBuying is going through a very, very difficult time right now. I mean, arguably more than they, I think they were fortunate to get out when they did. Not that they covered themselves in glory here, but, but imagine trying to sell 10,000 homes in this market right now. I mean, it's, it's rough. And, and part of that business model is to make money. You also need to be buying. And so if you look at sort of the, the main competitor, Former competitor, I guess. They're now allies in a weird way. Uh, Open Door, they still had to buy a thousand homes in the last quarter. And these are not homes at deep discounts, you know? And it's, um, I, I think there's still major questions about what that, you know, people talk about like web 2.0, 3.0. What is housing 3.0? You know, how digital does it get? How sticky can, uh, you know, a, a platform or a service provider like an Open Door or a Zillow B in terms of realizing, you know, even fractional profits on the moving company getting a piece of the action, the agent, the advertising, the title, maybe even in the future, right? Like you could see uh, some elements of a housing super app actually becoming something, but will they run out of time? Like, can you get enough traction before, um, you know, there's there's enough of a business to actually fight for. So I, I don't know. It's and it's not like inventory is going to be getting any better for a while. You know, we we need to get back to this time and time again because it's not it's not improving. No, it's it's not. I do think that the fact that um Open Door, you know, bought a thousand houses in some ways, you know, you can think that that's gonna be challenging. On the other hand, in a low inventory environment, maybe there's a way that that, that works out well for them, right? It all depends on what you bought it for and what you can sell it for and how long you're holding that. But um, I think that's interesting. And the other thing that uh from this reporting that we did on Zillow was the fact that um the Zillow home loans has really uh, shown some promise there and jumped as far as, um, you know, they, they looked at one test market of Raleigh, right? Um, in Q3 2022, there was a 15% adoption rate of Zillow home loans in the products test market of Raleigh. Um, in Q4, it jumped to 20%. And you do think, you know, you talk about making stuff easy. If you're looking at a home, you're like, I want this home. Not only can you get the premier agent, but you can be like, yeah, let's just go through, um, you know, Zillow Home Loans. See so, yeah, that could be uh, easy for everybody. Yeah. And it's important to note that they were incentivized to do it. Like they actually realized a cash savings by having this consolidated product. If it had been, say, a year prior or a year and a half prior when this company was still doing iBuying and trying to pair, you know, a service like mortgage, it didn't work. People just didn't, didn't use their mortgage lender. But now if you can make the numbers work for the consumer, yeah. I mean, it's a lot easier to just go with the same company for everything, right? I mean, it, it, you, you should have economies of scale that make it a much smoother, flatter, easier process for the consumer and, when we think about the real estate trans transaction right now, it's still, there are too many people. There are just way too many people. It's too complicated and there's no reason, you know, outside of 
Um, just this is structurally how homeownership has developed, you know, and, and I think that there is a way to cut through some of that noise, but there's no model that has proven successful. So think about the, you know, the discount brokerages that decide to cut the agent out. Where are they? Where's purple bricks these days, right? You know, a lot of them are embracing the traditional models again because they have to. They cannot stay in business. Homeowners just weren't ready or they they couldn't get enough things easy enough at scale for people to adopt it. And then it's a house of cards and things fall. Zillow does have, I think, the consumer, not power, but People know Zillow as just a household, a Pepsi, or you know, it's it's a brand that transcends what they actually make money doing. And so, just from purely that standpoint, I think they have a chance to really change the way we buy and sell homes and who makes money along the way when that transaction does happen. But I don't think they're particularly close either. <laughs> you know, this might take a very long time if it ever happens. It is interesting to me because it's the same sort of thing as Rocket where it's like, boy, I mean, you talk about consumer awareness. You could not get better than Rocket or Zillow. I mean, Zillow and and Zillow is what people do. You know, there's a whole bunch of people who just surf it for fun, which you think, oh, you know, that's not right, great. It's a for- verb. Right. It, it, I'm going to Zillow. I'm, you know, Zillow gone wild, as I, as I told you about, something that I look at on a regular basis. <laughs> um, but it, it's just one of those things where you're like, to me, that's where so much of this juice is. Because when you go to buy a house, you know, people do not know. People do not know um, how to shop for a, a lender. You know, I, I think about all of the incredible work that the industry did. So to implement TRID, right back in the day, 2015, whatever it was. And the whole point of that was to make sure that, um, well, first of all, that people knew, you know, what was going to be on the closing disclosure. They had enough time to to know what they were getting into and review those things. But it was also to give them the opportunity to do shopping. But I mean, it is such a painful process. Who wants to do shopping? If you found someone and you got a good rate, you're like, okay, let's do it. And of course, in the last couple of years, if you if you waited on a house to go shopping for your mortgage lender, you might have just missed out on the house anyway. So I, I just think that this sort of thing where, you know, I could find the house uh, through one place and then, you know, do have the real estate agent and the mortgage through that same place you know, that really goes against the idea of like, oh, competition or like shopping around. But I don't think people were doing that anyway. No, I don't think so either. And there, there's this idea that transactions should be smooth if you eliminate some of these bureaucratic frictions. But when I think back to my experience buying a home and looking for a home, the thing that slowed everything up all the time, which is the back and forth with the, the seller. And just how long I'm like, okay, well, we have this fireplace, it's damaged, you know, can we get a credit for that? Or will you reduce this? And it's just like everything that took forever was just in sort of the human element of it. And I don't know how, you know, a company could really flatten the negotiation part of it. And that's tricky. I mean, yes, you can definitely, closings, I think, can be a heck of a lot faster than they are. I think the lending process itself shouldn't be 30 days. Unless you have a really, really weird circumstance right now, I don't think it should be 30 days. 
I, I think most processes could be done in two weeks. And a lot of lenders can and do that. It's not certainly the standard, but most mortgage lenders out there right now, I think can do it alone in two weeks. Will that become standard anytime soon? I mean, we saw better really trying to make an attempt at that and and they're going to get caught in the, the trade web as well, right? They're trying to to create a process by which someone can basically get a mortgage approval letter and then close in a few days. Um, you can't do that based on current current regulations, um, but the technology is there. It's it's really just we have these these structural um, you know barriers to getting a process smooth enough where a consumer feels comfortable without having like an army of advisors and and people to to work with. So I, I think Zillow is at least a decade away from truly transforming the way in which we buy and sell homes. And I don't think anyone else is particularly close personally. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to have to revisit that as we go along and see. 10 years, Sarah. We're we're going to talk again in 2033. Mark it on your calendar. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I feel old already just thinking about that date. I I do think it's a really interesting thing to bring up the regulatory part of this because, you know, people want, I want, right? When I buy a house, I want it to be as seamless as Amazon delivering something to my house, all the other kind of things we could talk about that are so seamless. But the fact is that there are so many things here that have to be um, taken into account, which we on other shows and in other stories talk about that. And we know are really important. We don't, you know, you don't want any sort of racial bias in the system. You want to make sure that people are uh, it's a level playing field and that there's fair lending. And then, you know, there's just so many things about it that like, you don't have to think about when you're ordering something off Amazon. It's like, yeah, go buy it. So I, I do think that we still have a pretty big disconnect between what consumers really want and what they can get. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. What are we reporting on in the next couple of days? What do we have coming up that you would uh, tell our listeners to look out for? So Redfin is uh, announcing their fourth quarter results later to today's Thursday. We're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. And uh, and, and that's going to be one to watch. Uh, of course, Opendoor, Zillow also are going to be of interest. And then we're also going to, on the mortgage side, going to have uh, quite a few earnings calls over the next two weeks. So Rocket, UWM, they're going to be going public with their results from the fourth quarter. Uh, I think there are going to be a lot of eyeballs on that home point. Another good size lender is going to have their results in the next few weeks as well. So we're, we're going to be keeping track of all that. And uh, there's always something, Sarah, you know, we, we never, we don't get a moment's peace here. We don't. Yeah. So there's so much happening. Um, Your newsroom is doing an amazing job covering it across all these brands, and we will continue to look for that. So James, thanks for being on. Cool. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 
2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.